Well, it's been a long two and a half weeks, and we're back. <laughs> and also, we're technically recording this beforehand on the cursed December 19th. Glendon, do you remember what happened a year ago from today? Um, I think, I think according to my Facebook memories, Rise of Skywalker came out. Is that what you're referring to? Uh, no, 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 oh, Rise of Skywalker. Okay. Though I think it did actually come out on yeah. the 19th. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that was the thing. I, a year, I don't know what else you could be referring to. A year ago from today, Glendon and I planned to record a podcast with, with Sarah Joy, actually. That's true. While we were still on that speaking was the same terms. Day. And what happened was I had planned it for like 7 o'clock, I think, at, at Glendon's bedroom. As all of our podcasts were recorded in Glendon's bedroom. What a time. And I I was at the ODR with, with a friend, pretty close to Ambrose, planning to make it there on time. And suddenly I get a text from my mom being like, hey, are you going to meet us at Olive Garden or do you want to come home and we'll just meet, like drive there? And I'm like, oh crap, I double booked. And so I send a text to Glendon and Sarah Joy and I'm like, guys, I screwed up. Is you going to Olive Garden foreshadowing for when we talk about Evermore on this podcast? Oh, yeah. Don't you worry. <laughs> don't you worry. And No, I remember that, though. Because that was because we were going to talk about, like, Rise of Skywalker expectations in that yep. episode. And that was going to be the day that, like, Ben and I were going. And then I went and was like, oh, oh, no, this sucks. Whoops. Yeah. So and we couldn't do it any later because Glendon was going to see the movie. Yeah. And we couldn't do it any earlier because Sarah Joy was working. So also, you changed my name to my Harmsy boy. I don't know how I feel about that, but like, thank you. <laughs> I did do that. It was it was a it was a sad day. I felt really bad, and then I'm like, oh, let's record the next day, which was my birthday, also, and that's the episode that actually came out. But Sarah Joy wasn't on that one. Happy his... birthday, Noah. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> You're only about like Wait, twelve hours early. Tomorrow, tomorrow's your birthday. Yep. Crazy. Congrats. I'll, I'll say happy birthday on the actual day. Sorry. Yeah. Also, we have a guest today. This is to make amends for a year ago. It's not Sarah Joy, but it's Sarah Joy's best friend, Maddie McBlain. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Maddie is a mutual friend that Glendon and I met at Ambrose. Um, she has a, a Bachelor's of Theology, I believe. Um, she has been working doing social work and working at a church and she is uh, pretty brilliant and uh, we've brought maddie on the podcast today to talk about uh, little women and as as well as taylor swift's new album uh, because honestly we just uh, having two guys talk about so much and so many different issues that really we should we want varying perspectives we've always said that and we're finally starting to bring guests on that provide that and so, yeah, we're very happy to have Maddie on, and we hope you enjoy. Have you listened to the podcast at all in recent years? Uh, yes, I have, but I haven't listened to the last couple episodes, so I don't know if something's changed. Wait, have you actually, you've kept up? Well, Somewhat? off and on. I don't want to make myself sound more committal than I am. <laughs> but I think I've done a decent job. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'd have okay. to scroll back and see what one, but I will commit to doing better after this i just uh, i'm not a great podcaster podcast listener i should say that's fair it's it's you know it's we have long episodes so i can't blame anyone for not listening <laughs> it depends what you're comparing I to a couple to. of yours on two times speed and that really helps you know Ooh. 
So. Wait, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I, That'd I often be really funny. audiobooks on two times speed. I know. I might get made fun of it for it, but just efficiency. I mean, I, I think it's like a I literally thing. do my job on two times speed. Yeah, exactly. I'm just trying to remember what we were like trying to talk to Sarah Joy about a year ago. And I, I think Christmas stuff would have been. Oh, maybe, yeah. I just know we, were, we tried to call her the next day, but she couldn't. But we've tried to have, I mean, quite a few people on the podcast, and things just haven't worked out. So we're happy that we can at least get you on, Maddie. Thank you. You know, it really is wild that, like, so many people we know or have met in university are doing so many different and, like, professional things where they're getting, having kids. Yeah. It's weird to think of, like, university friends or just friends that I have that are my age having, like, children and stuff. It's, it is wild, really, yeah crazy time yeah i don't know how i feel about all this but it's 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 good stuff no no is uncomfortable with the concept of children okay no <laughs> you shouldn't get into this i've already gone off on that's the really podcast funny. well they wanted kids so they're super happy that's great i'm you know i'm glad they're happy i'm also glad they're destroying the environment okay Glenn, do, I think do you remember I'm that starting to think this conversation is coming out of some sort of deep self-hatred because that's the only Ooh. way for it to be possible. You know, if you really think that it's not worth having kids because of the environment, then you're really saying your parents shouldn't have had you. Like, they made a moral mistake. Wow, okay. And that's bad, Noah. That hurts me deeply. She makes a Tell good your therapist that. <laughs> but at the same time... I mean, if we're talking about environmental impacts, technically it would have been better if I were never born. Hey, That's speaking of Christmas, saying. there's a great movie for you to watch, Noah. Die Hard? It's a Wonderful Life. No. <laughs> Thank you. I'm good. I'm sorry you feel that way, Noah. I think, uh, like, you're right. I also struggle with the ethical implications of having children. It's not like I haven't thought about that. Thank you. But I think uh, then we're basically, like, we're surrendering our power to have a family towards corporations and they're the ones who've screwed up the earth. And so oh. Jeff Bezos is just like still allowed to live and, you know, be obscenely wealthy, but I can't like have a child because that's going to be too much of a carbon footprint. I don't think so. Tax the rich. Okay. So maybe I'm just trying to justify why I don't want children um, using ethical yeah, means. Yeah, and that's Okay. That's fine. You can just say, I don't want kids. I think they're weird. That's totally fine. Well, no. I still think I mean, he's just saying that because he's single. So. <laughs> Ouch, oh, Glendon. That seems Ouch. mean. <laughs> no, I don't want kids no. because it'll take away. I'm just, okay, here's here's my perspective. When you have kids. This is like you're... a great start. This is not the intro you had planned. No. no. When you have kids, your next 20 years at least are literally constrained to your children. Your freedom becomes entirely... Well, okay, maybe 18. Your freedom is very, very limited until Mm. they're independent enough to do their own thing. And that's a long time. And that usually... That's like early years of marriage. So, like, you might get, what, two years with your significant other before suddenly you're... Instead of living a life of just pure marriage and, like, adventure and all of the romantic stuff, you're stuck with kids. (laughs) Are you saying kids can't be romantic? That's okay. No, Glendon, that sounds bad. Yeah, that sounds very bad. Please. <laughs> that does. Um, yeah, and you're right. And like, that's 100% true, Noah. And that's fine if you don't want that. Like, I don't know if I want kids, and that's a huge part of it. But some people, many people actually think about that in that next 20 years. And they're like, yeah, sounds great. I want that. 
and that's totally fine. Yeah. But yeah, like what you're saying is fair. I get that. Yeah. Maybe I just feel like there's such a an emphasis on having kids and I feel pressured to do it when I really don't want. Mm -hmm. That's fair. But uh, I mean, that is just me. So like I would definitely want kids. I would also definitely probably want to wait like three to five years and Mm -hmm. enjoy married life for a bit. Yeah. Everyone is different that way. Some people get married and they're like, now we're ready to start family. Some people get married and they're like, yeah, you know, why would we want to ruin that? Yeah. I mean, I don't cut that part out, but I just like, I think everyone has a different perspective going into it and then different experience of. Yep. I agree. I was born on my dad's 44th birthday. So maybe you don't go like that far, but I mean, whatever works. But like, there must be pressure, especially like for women to have to have kids. Oh, yeah. More so than just me. I'm I'm just, I'm just the guy. But for women, it's like inbred in their like, or indoctrinated in their education Mm -hmm. that like you have to have kids in order to be like a woman almost right Mm -hmm. yeah no totally and there's also like once you get married especially and i'm not complaining like david and i chose to get married young and this is just comes with the territory but once you're married especially then people are like okay great you check that box now step number two is to have kids and we haven't received a ton of that i think part of that is because I look quite young, which is kind of a blessing. It seems creepy if people ask me if I'm ready to have kids. Like, that would be gross because I look like a child. <laughs> um, so that's helped a lot. But it definitely is, like, the default is that you're going to have children. And so I would have to, like, I had to tell my mom that I'm not really sure if I want kids. And right. whereas she would obviously just assume that I would. And so, um, yeah, so it's definitely just, like, a, it's kind of like, well, no, that was that's a weird comparison to make. But I was just going to say, um the default is that, yeah, people who are married have children. And so then if you don't, it, there's usually like questions about why. But Yeah. Socially expected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like marriage. Yeah, exactly. It's an economic proposition. An economic okay. proposition. <laughs> okay. I know where you're getting to, Glendon. I just watched it last night. So. Same. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I was inspired by you. I saw, was it on Instagram or Twitter or something? Oh, Snapchat. I think I, I, think I Snapchatted. Or something. Yeah, and yeah. so then I Wait. I worked till 10 p.m. and then I was like, I'm watching Little Women, David. <laughs> like, Wait, all right. You all have Snapchat? Yeah, I do. Oh wow, okay. Do you I not have Snapchat? Snapchat from two of my friends, so it's not serious. But, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, I do have Snapchat. I just didn't know anyone really had Snapchat. Okay. I've there have been multiple times where I've thought about snapping you, and then I've been like, I don't have no Snapchat, so I can't. It's. I almost just doxed my Snapchat. Yeah, that would... you can you can send that to me like <laughs> over yeah, a messenger. Oops. Yeah, not gonna say that, but yes, marriage is purely an economic transaction. That's right? why I married David. Once I married David, I got a free course at Ambrose every semester. So wait, is that, is that true? True. It's true. Yeah. Wait, why? Because I'm his wife, and he works at Ambrose. What the. I know you're shocked. It's true. Yeah. Is this I, is I this why you're always taking classes? Is this what happened? <laughs> no, no. But yeah, David has taken a class every semester he's worked at Ambrose because he gets one free course. Um, and you know, like professors' children get free tuition, but or right. subs or whatever. But yeah, if you're on staff and not faculty, then you get one free course a semester. And so, yeah, since I'm David's wife now, I got a free course every semester. It's great. Incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is yeah, that... that's. I don't know if it's like really fair, but uh, <laughs> I did take advantage of it. 
Anyways, just a yeah, it was a benefit. I wish I had known that like three years ago. Yeah, what would you have changed? What staff, would you have yeah. done differently? <laughs> yeah, I would I know. would have made an intention to seduce someone on the staff. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, who would who would you seduce, Noah? I, I, uh, name me someone single who works at Ambrose. <laughs> mm, that's I a problem. Know. I don't really know anyone who works at Ambrose. Well, well I, that's not true. I would have okay. I would have freaking gone to the registrar and asked for a staff list. I would have searched the staff list names <laughs> on Facebook, found out who's married and who's not, and then I would have intentionally talked to the single ones and tried to make is this, this a confession <laughs> yeah yes, truly i should submit this all of this for one free class like i know classes are expensive but i don't know if it's worth it you know well i mean there are like wedding costs which would probably balance it out exactly That's and then true. if you want to get divorced another cost well i mean couldn't we sign some kind of like um a prenup, prenup. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah you could sign a prenup very true Though I guess the prenup is kind of pointless if you, you're both broke, which I probably will be. I know you guys can relate. <laughs> yeah, um, all of my money has sunk into this, where is it, this degree over here. <laughs> yeah, I like that that's being advertised. Yeah, they <laughs> would put perfect. those up the day I graduated. Mm-hmm. Wow. There you go. Yeah. His is below mine. I just have Lego, that's all I have. That's great. You know, nice, I appreciate great. that. I've got... I love Lego. David has a Lego Millennium Falcon. That he's been does, he have, does he have like the big one? I don't. I don't really know to be honest. Okay. All I know is that I said, "Cool, we could build that together one weekend," and he said, "No." Oh wow! <laughs> Yikes! I love Lego. I used to love building Lego sets, but he's not in, into doing it together apparently. So whatever. Sad. Yeah. Uh, that's not sad. <laughs> that's exactly what I would say if I were David. It's Lego yeah. is a private no, thing because when you I do it with some. When you do it with someone else, some they might do it wrong or they might lose a piece and then you get mad. If you just do it by yourself, it's just you do it the way you want it See, done. See, I spent a lot of my life doing Lego with my dad and he would always just like sort pieces and watch and then I would like do the building. Well, that's just great. slave work. <laughs> I yeah, mean, he wanted to do it. I never said he had to. He was always like, let me do this. If you want me to love you, you will sort my Lego. <laughs> Do you know who else really wanted them to love him? <laughs> Lori and Little Women. Mm-hmm. Is that your transition? Oh, That's my transition. You said you had intros. You never did your intros. Well, my intro for for Little Women was <laughs> going to be, you know what I really love about that movie? How the women all dress modestly like they should. There's there yeah, I don't really know what to say multiple <laughs> layers of clothing, no shoulders, nothing. I feel like every time we've had a guest, you've made some joke about like women need to dress modestly or something like that. <laughs> I've got to keep it up. Definitely, you definitely made a joke like that to Sarah Fenn. Did I? I feel like uh, women's fashion has like, I wish that this era of women's fashion existed when I was in high school. When I was in high school, I there was a very strict dress code in my home. Mm. Uh, but the fashion is very much like super tight jeans and low-cut tops. But now the fashion right. is that women wear men's clothing. And I wish that existed when I was in high school because I would have been allowed to be cool. So I just want to, like, be able to freely and cheaply get Lori's wardrobe and dress like Lori all the time. 
That would be great. Yeah. So like, here's the thing, Glendon. I'm actually currently working on that. That's been my Christmas gift list this year. I'm not even joking. I'm like, Incredible. here is Lori. I want to dress like him. Get me these clothes. <laughs> and so I, I have a pea coat now. I have. Nice. I, what? I've got like a, a suit vest on the way. I've got different dress shirts. I've I've really been going go. for it. I'm literally looking at pictures of him right now to remember. Oh the yeah, thing, right, right. The one thing, like I watched that movie and I realized I can never pull off messy hair the way Timothy Chalamet I know. pulls off messy hair. Because his hair is like in a mess the entire movie and it looks amazing. Just, <laughs> what a man. What a man. Amen. I just I, I want to be him, but also, you know, I'm straight, but for Timothy Chalamet, <laughs> you make exceptions. Yeah, fair. Everyone has to. Almost social. <laughs> yeah. We know that everyone is a little bit gay, so. It's true. Exactly. It's true. Embrace it. Mm. Yeah, we will, that's a whole topic for another day. <laughs> but Little Women, we need to talk about why Amy is still the worst. No, really? We, oh my goodness. No, I know. I knew this Amy. was gonna be because I know you both. You both like Amy, and I have to defend the original intention of the author. Okay. Me, okay. So you don't have a problem with Amy in the movie. You're oh no, I have a serious problem with Amy in the movie too. But are you? Still. Yeah. Oh, when okay, you say okay. the author, are you talking about Louisa May Alcott or Greta Gerwig? No, I, there's two I, different authors happening. I definitely Alcott. Because I'm, pre- I'm prepared to talk about Little Women in the movie. I'm less prepared to talk about Little Women in the novel because it was so long ago when I read it. Yeah, I've never read it, but I'll still talk about it. Oh, what? No, okay. You stand No one just wants to hate Amy for no No, reason. No, it's not that I want to hate Amy. It's just her character in the movie genuinely made me strongly dislike her. And I have, I have. Okay, well, why don't you give us like a three sentence summary of why you don't like Amy? Okay, I do. I have a tweet prepared. I I drafted a tweet last night. Oh my goodness. Before we get into this, I have a very important question that's going to clarify everything. Noah, how many times have you watched the movie? Once. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay, still. Okay, um, you said three sentences? <laughs> yeah. I have, I think, four, so I'm cheating, sorry. Um, this, is what I, this is what I was going to tweet last night. The only thing redemptive about Amy is that she's Joe's foil, and by stealing everything and everyone that should rightfully be Joe's, she just proves that Joe doesn't need anything or anyone to be fulfilled. Amy being so utterly spoiled and dependent highlights Joe's strength. And then I went on to say, Amy is the embodiment of selfish, egoic escapism. She's petty, jealous, vindictive, and materialistic. <laughs> and always sees She's herself not, as the though. victim. Interesting. That Wild. How, how long ago did you watch the movie also? When did I message you? It would have been like a month and a half ago, probably. Yeah. I feel like you have a very warped interpretation no, of the movie and, I and also, if you watch it again you would have a different here's interpretation. the thing so you can say that but i also went and i did research last night i watched the movie last night and i did research on critical analysis of amy in the movie in the movie or in the book in the read it or is this an actual review <laughs> someone literally wrote <laughs> someone someone wrote an article it was amy sucks congratulations to florence pug on her oscar nomination amy is still the worst hold on florence pug? pug that's her name <laughs> florence pew noah no noah. okay yes. okay you pronounce i want both of you except i think i already told glendon how to pronounce the name but pronounce florence pew no pronounce the lead actress's name in the movie sir sharon yeah okay you're cheating yeah 
I didn't cheat. I, I know her name. Anyways, it's fine if you can't pronounce her name. Uh, I'm more concerned it's with pug. the frailty of your argument. It's not pug. It's pew. No, I will always call it pug. With Saoirse Ronan, that's different. And you're wrong. It's no. I'm saying pug because I don't like her character. Wow, so you're calling a woman a dog. Interesting. Yeah, so, no, so you're there's saying the actress sucks. So, no, no, no what actually, you're doing, you're saying the actress sucks because you dislike her character. No, actually, I, I actually think she did a great job um, portraying the character because she made me hate then her. give the actress her due and pronounce her damn name right. <laughs> I'm going to give you guys some, some advice. If you ever make a mistake and the reactions of those around you make you feel like it was incredibly stupid just own up to it just be like oh i'm sorry i didn't know how to do this i made a mistake i will do better it doesn't matter if they laugh it doesn't matter what their response is after that if you let it get to your ego you do what i did and you try to deny that you're wrong and you try to equate it to, to to something else, which is pretty much unrelated. And then you make it seem like it was intentional because you were trying to boost the character. Don't do it. Don't do what I did. Own up to it immediately. Say that you're wrong. As bad as it will feel in the moment, especially if the reaction is not great. Um you'll feel you'll feel worse if you dig yourself a bigger hole take take the hit apologize and move on so having said that i i apologize for getting the name wrong i clearly should have done googled the pronunciation beforehand okay fine florence he got heated really fast i was just reading the title i didn't i didn't even really intend to pronounce the name in any way shape or form i just quickly freaking flew through it we're devastating noah she's okay i think i kind of i don't want to accuse you of anything noah but i also feel like maybe you're just in love with joe and that's why you see her as perfect and good Ooh. and then you see amy as not because they both very clearly have flaws in the movie i think that's the beauty of the movie is they oh yeah it, it like looks at each sister in a different way and you see their good sides and their bad sides and i think it does that with joe and amy but if you're only seeing the bad side of amy which obviously she has one and you're not oh, yeah. seeing that in joe did joe burn amy's life's work when she was no. 12 you even now you're making it younger you said 13 not 20 minutes ago i no i didn't i always said 12 i'm gonna i swear i think i have a message from you this is 13. You can go look it up. Realistically, it doesn't matter if she's 12 you or 13. Said, I'm pretty sure she's 12. I'm looking at the timeline, and I think she's supposed to be, like, 13 at most when she burns the book. Now, you did yeah, say... Yeah, like, 13 at most. You did say at most, so you, you saved yourself a little bit there. But at the same time, you said 13. She's still a kid. It doesn't... It doesn't... That's the point I'm making. Okay, hold on. I'm going I'm to bring up this article that will help save me. I'm just... Okay, and then your time's over, and Glenn and I get to talk. <laughs> Well, I don't want this to be my pure point on Little Women because I have so much more I could say. I'm just... <sighs> no, just about Amy. Amy oh, okay. Amy. This article says she was 12. So to be fair, Glendon, you might be right. Okay, okay, okay. So, so here's the thing. What punishment <laughs> did Amy receive? What con What was her consequence for burning the book? 
I'll ask that question. Joe gave her the cold shoulder for like however long? A day. It was a day. Do we know that it was a day? Well, that's supposedly what the timeline says, that the next day she fell into the ice. I don't know. It's yeah, I'm... I, you're right. I think I'm of the opinion that there wasn't a ton of consequence besides sure. her feeling really bad or being shunned by her sister and then falling into the ice. But I think that's kind of the point. Like, what we see in this movie is that there are these very fraught relationships between the sisters. Okay. And you see the mom tell Joe, like, don't let the sun go down your anger. Don't be angry with your sister. And they continually have to not be angry with each other, especially mm-hmm. Amy and Joe. But that's just... And so I don't think... And if you don't like that, that's fine. If you think that, you know, you should hold grudges against the people you love and be angry no. towards them when they make a mistake, then this, that is totally this fine. Is this is a conversation about justice. And this is not just. Okay, well, that's interesting. So you have a, you know, a view of justice that's very... Not retributive. Talking about retribution. No, restorative. But restoration doesn't mean there's no consequences. And this is something I've learned a lot from listening to the black community over the last few months. Sure. But the relationship between Joe and Amy is restored by the end of the movie. Yeah, exactly. Yes, because because Joe is the bigger person in every circumstance. That's fine, but but, I think think what Glendon pointed out is important, though, that she's 12. Like, the things my brother did to me when he was 12, yeah, dumb stuff, stuff that hurt me, messed up my life, that's fine. But I don't think that in order for our relationship to be restored, I have to, like, gain back what he, I don't know, he, like, stuck gum in my hair one time and I had to get my hair cut. Do I need to, like, get great hair again in order for it to be restored? I don't think so. I don't (laughs) think there shouldn't be restoration or, like, repair. I think that's clearly very important, but I'm saying, you know, you're talking about the black community suffering under slavery for 400 years, that's different than Joe's novel being burned by her 12-year-old sister. Yes, but I think, to some extent, you both are kind of under... And maybe this is what the movie does. Like, that book is so important to Joe at that point. Yeah. Like, it is like if if someone were to... If Glendon were to come to my house right now and rip out my one-terabyte SSD and just, like, mm-hmm. s- s- break it in half... I would genuinely lose my shit. Sure. And that would be justified. And it would be justified. And honestly, it would probably be justified if I didn't talk to Glendon ever again. But I would because I'm a forgiving person. But also, I don't know why Glendon would do that. But, like, maybe he has a reason. But the reason Amy has is just that she's jealous because she's in love with Lori at that point. And Joe is spending all her time with her crush. And the ultimate consequence is she ends up what with Lori? I mean, it's not. I don't think I can. That's not see the reason the ar- Amy gives for burning. <laughs> yeah. can go first. Okay, so go for it. I can like the movie at least doesn't implicate Lori in that equation at all. I can understand without be read into it. It's more like my older siblings are going out and seeing the world and doing things, and I also want to do that. And it just so happens that she's doing things with Lori. I don't even yeah, know and I think we, yeah. that, first of all, Amy is a human, and she's obviously in love with Lori, so obviously that plays into it. Sure. That doesn't, and I think, like, she obviously made a mistake. None of us are saying, doesn't matter, no big deal. Like, it was oh, yeah. obviously devastating. When I watched the movie, especially the first time, I also hated Amy, and that is the natural reaction. That's what the, the director wants you to think and feel, and you felt sure. that, and that's great. Um, but the reason Amy gives to Joe when she's at her angriest and telling her straight up that she burned the book is that 
all you care about is your writing. And that's the theme that carries throughout the movie is that while there's this tension with Joe and Amy in regards to Laurie, there's also this intention between um, how they perceive their dreams and what they want to do with their lives. And one of the reasons I really appreciate Amy's character, especially in this movie, is I feel like in many ways, more so than Joe, she has a better understanding of her place in the world and the ways that she's going to have to move through it in order to survive. Mm -hmm. And I think she carries bitterness towards Joe because Joe has a harder time realizing that, or if he does realize that well, he doesn't care about it as much. I, I, Amy, I, Amy, in her adulthood, at least, is presented as like exactly. the most practical of the sisters. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're both right in that respect. That Amy recognizes that in order to survive as a woman in the world, she has to marry rich, and that's the only way she'll get anywhere. And it doesn't matter about her dreams or her passions as long as she finds that social status, right? But that's not going to break the well, system. I don't, know if it, I don't know if it doesn't matter about her dreams and passions. I think she was pretty clear that she wanted to be the best painter in the world. Like, I think yeah. she has pretty high ambition when it comes to her talent. But then when it came down um, to choosing between that social status or her passion, her painting, she chose the social yeah. status. Yeah, and she it wasn't choosing social status necessarily though. It was choosing survival for herself and her family. Like yeah. not everyone has the privilege to quote unquote, fix the system, break the system by pushing against the societal norms. Some people mm -hmm. just have to survive for the sake, not just of themselves, but also of their family. And so I think, I don't think it's really fair to say she privileged social status over her dreams. I think she realized that um, taking a hold of her dreams was, would be practically a very selfish thing to do in light of her family's position. And so she chose the route of social stat social status or social survival rather, um, and economic stability, um, for reasons that no, I don't think it's fair to say, Oh, she's shallow, all she cares about is, you know, money and she chose that in the end over her talent. She obviously deeply cared about her painting. That's evidenced mm -hmm. in many ways throughout the movie. Um, but at the end of the day she knew her place in the world and how that related to her, her family and her sister's survival yeah. and that's what went over. Because at that point, like, Joe is basically keeping the family afloat with her right Yeah, now, which exactly. is not a super, like, financially stable way to do anything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Especially in that time. But when I it... spilled water all over my desk. Oh, I'm sorry. sorry. Keep going. Um, <laughs> I'm not necessarily saying that her decision was wrong. I'm just saying that in the end, Amy kind of gets everything she wanted. From the beginning. Well, and I mean, a you know, lot of what she, she wanted, wanted was to what. Be... Okay, sure. Yeah, Glendon, you explain, actually. Like, she wanted to be a great painter, and she didn't get that. That's. You, you can definitely make that argument as well. But she also. She got to go to Europe in the first place. True. Something that is definitely portrayed as being what Joe wanted the entire time and what Joe was supposed to get until Amy kind of swooped in and actually started, I don't want to say sucking up to the ant, but like maybe listening to what the ant had to say and adhering to her ideals. Something Joe would never do because she's authentic. Oh, so it's really, okay. I see where this is, what this is all about now, Noah. <laughs> what? I think, um, well, it's about the person of Joe mm. in the movie and in the book, but especially in this movie yeah. really represents a core value of yours. And That's you true. see Amy, 
um, maybe undermine that value for other purposes, whether it's survival or her own pleasure or that kind of thing, and that bothers you. I mean, kind of. You're just because your dreams are different than yours doesn't mean they're not good. That's and that's <laughs> that's totally that that's a fair argument to make. But I guess maybe I see Joe as someone who I see Joe as being more selfless in taking responsibility than Amy is in the film. Yeah, and that's fine. Like, I think it's probably well agreed upon that Amy has a more selfish character, personality, yes. tendencies than Joe. Mm-hmm. That's fine. That, I don't know if that I don't know if I would make the jump to okay now I have to hate her. And I don't think ne- Joe is perfect. <laughs> I'm not necessarily saying I hate her. What I do, what bothers I, me, is how many people what, are suddenly let fully me, on Let me bring board. up a text that I got from Noah yesterday. I said hashtag cancel and I Amy. Just want to point out. You said Amy yeah, I, should die in the river. I said she should have um, been left to drown in the lake. Yeah, I did. Yeah, see, Which, this is what I'm saying, is that I feel like we can have a honest conversation about characters in the film and the ways they interact and their, uh, the ways we react to them. Uh, but then if some, if one person in this conversation says Amy should should have left, been left to die in the river, it kind of undermines the credibility of their arguments, in my personal opinion. Yes, but just because... I have an emotional um, frustration with Amy and jokingly argued that they she, she, she should have been left to, to drown in, in the lake or the river. That doesn't mean I can't make a, a legitimate argument as to why her character is being over-praised because of this movie. Oh, of course. I'm not saying emotions shouldn't count into the conversation. They obviously are already. But um, wishing death upon the character? I don't know. I just—it was a joke. It was a joke. (laughs) What do you mean by overpraised, Noah? I just mean that when you Google when you Google Little Women 2019 Amy, almost every article is like, "Wow, Amy finally gets her due." Amy, the beloved, Mm -hmm. comes through in the end. You know, like legitimately articles like that. Yeah, because she's portrayed much more sympathetically in this than any other portrayal of the story. Yeah, maybe you'd like the older little women better, honestly, because they are obviously less sympathetic to Amy. <laughs> yeah, I probably would. You get on board with those. Yeah. But it's only because of the, the portrayal in the movie that I feel this way about Amy, which means, I mean, again, Florence Pugh did a good job. Mm-hmm. And also Greta Gerwig, because she directed it and wrote it, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, full credit. Mm-hmm. It's because of them that I feel this way about the character. But... My ar- yeah. like maybe it all comes down to the fact that Amy. It's still, I'm I'm just still upset about Lori and Joe. So maybe maybe that all just I'm just oh right because you really you upset. think Lori and Joe should end up together, which is wrong. No no you're mm-hmm. wrong. Joe doesn't love Lori. Like that's explicitly stated. Yeah, it depends. Even when she is crying about him, she can't even tell her mom that she loves him. She just says she's lonely. Yeah. Which obviously makes me very sympathetic to her. Like, that's a big part of the conversation in Little Women. You know, what is love and what is just uh, longing not to be lonely? And I think Laurie, I mean, I love Laurie as a character. Oh, yeah. I obviously hate him in certain moments as well, but I think he deserves someone who loves him. And uh, Amy definitely does. Mm -hmm. Like, I think, Noah, what it comes down to is you want the plot of the story to be different. Ooh. Not necessarily. I want, I want Joe and Lori not ending up together to feel as tragic as it's written in the book. You haven't read the book. No, yeah, I just I read credit. I just read articles describing it as being a legitimate tragedy that Joe and Lori don't end up together. 
I don't know if I it's. Think it I, feels quite tragic in the movie. Yeah. Honestly, I think it does. Like, it's it was very distressing the first time I watched it. Like her going back to retrieve that letter she was gonna send. Mm-hmm. Like it is kind of melodramatic. And you feel, especially in that one scene, like you have these people who obviously care about each other as people, mm-hmm. but they're in mm-hmm. such like different life paths and such different like core beliefs that they're just running yeah. like directly into tension with each other. Yeah. Well, Amy isn't all there is a little woman. That's true. That's so heated. I think... Um, we started that yeah, off really strong. I, I think, like, there are going to be characters people relate to and feel connected to, and there's going to be characters you, that rub you the wrong way, and that's just normal, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that really... Um, yeah, I think that's just, like, a normal part of watching any movie or consuming any sort of content, and I think... Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's, like, the most useful part of film criticism, though, because there's so much more than just like this individual character and the things they did that hurt my feelings. <laughs> I don't know. So I just don't know, like, I, res- I completely respect mm-hmm. your distaste for Amy because I totally see where that's coming from. And there are valid reasons to think she's an awful person. Um, but at the end of the day, like I'm very aware of um, our, like the deep depravity of everyone. And so when I see a character like Amy in a movie, I'm like, yeah, she sucks and so do I. And I can just sit in that and relate to her in a po- more positive way because I have been just as selfish, just as um, needy, just as concerned with my own desires, like all of those things. And so and that's the part of film criticism I love where you can mm. see characters and when they make you react that way, I mean, for me at least, it's often just like, a, yeah, like a type of mirror, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's always very is... cliche, but... Yeah. And I think this is something that this particular adaption does super, super well, because it is naturally reflective. Like, Mm -hmm. it takes this classic story um, and frames it from the perspective of, like, not necessarily loss of innocence, but, like, adulthood reflecting back on childhood and looking at the way that people have grown and changed. And Amy is such a compelling character because you see, like, she starts off as someone very like childish self-consumed mm-hmm. doesn't mm-hmm. really understand like the effect of her actions or the people around her and you get to see who she becomes who's like this super mature woman who's mm-hmm. very cognizant of her place in society and very cognizant of like what she needs to do and the tension that comes of that and mm-hmm the reason the story works so well is because you have characters who like most of these characters in one scene do reprehensible things and you are well justified in hating but in other scenes you can see the different shades of their character like how their mind works and like how they are in different situations and it's just it's I love everyone in this movie they're all amazing yeah totally I agree are there other things you want to talk about in regards to them? No, I, I, I just came in because you want to talk about Little Woman, and I want to talk about Little Woman. I always want to talk about Little Woman. Obviously. I should have put, I should have put my giant Little Woman poster up for this episode. You should have. You should have. That would have been nice. Yeah, I Little got... Woman is a very comforting movie to me. Like when I started watching yeah. it last night, I was just like, oh wow, this is nice. Yeah, I, watching it last night, I was very much in a state of, like, 
it's weird because so I'm on break I've been my last exam was on like Saturday and I'm on break until okay. the 12th and there are so many things that I want to do and so many like movies and tv shows that I've fallen behind on and so mm-hmm. I was like I want to watch Little Woman again to have it in my brain but oh I need to have like something else going so I'm not just wasting time mm-hmm. quote unquote and then I started it and was like this movie is so it, it's such a like warm hug of a movie and I was True. like I forgot about anything else and it's like I just want to be in this world for like two two and a half hours however long it is yeah yeah I was watching by myself because David had to catch up on some work and he came out of the office and just like stood and watched for like 20 minutes and I was like okay like hi do you want to sit down are you leaving he's like oh right I have to come back to work but it is very like it does feel like a hug like mm-hmm. it's hard to yeah get away from I, I was only planning on watching half of it last night because I didn't start it till close to 11 right. But yeah, I just watched the whole thing because it's, you gotta. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I was thinking about in terms of the movie was like the twist that Greta Gerwig did on the ending and kind of like right. the double ending she offered. That was super interesting. And yes. the first time I watched it, I didn't really think through what I, what one I wanted to be true or how I wanted to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think like, yeah, it's just very interesting. I don't know. London probably has yeah. you know. It's, it's super interesting because the first time or so that I watched it, I th- th- like this movie was my first experience with the book. And I was very definitely like in this tension of, I want Joe to end up with someone because mm-hmm. that's just fun. But also Joe's <laughs> entire character is like, I don't want to get married. I don't yeah. want to do this or this. And so the fact that like Greta Gerwig like put that into the story structure to be like, yeah, Here's the thing. We're going to romanticize this a little bit. Totally. I, my first experience was very much like, okay, this is just being like fun and meta. Excellent. Mm-hmm. I love that. And then I watched, I think Patrick H. Willems has a video on Little Woman. And he mm-hmm. kind of looks at the ending because there's, this movie does a really intentional thing with color grading throughout the film. Yeah. Where like, yeah. The past is nice and bright and colorful, and the future is more muted and a little bit drab. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, again, kind of like that loss of childhood image a little bit. Mm-hmm. And in the ending, you have this split where you have like the epilogue portion, I guess, where yeah. it's the wedding and the celebrating and the schoolhouse, and that's all super colorful. And then you yeah. have like Joe printing her book, and that's more in like the quote unquote modern. Yeah whatever and his interpretation of that was like this is what's actually happening this is like the fun storytell ending of the book um and almost like putting a a, a divide which I don't know if I agree with but it's interesting between like her choosing love and like her pursuing her writing and like putting out this book no totally yeah yeah it's super interesting also I just think it's so like we see Joe as we also see, we talk about Amy and the way she matures from herself a very selfish mm-hmm. child to a more mature woman. And I think we see a similar thing with Joe, except it's yeah. manifested differently where like Joe is a child or teenager doesn't want to get married. And like at the end of that kind of rejects Lori. But then when she has that conversation with her mom in the attic, mm-hmm. she's like willing to admit her own loneliness. And I think there's something very powerful in that. Like, yeah, her, I, obviously everyone loves her monologue where she says, I don't want women to you know, they should deserve to be recognized for their talents and all these things, but I'm mm-hmm. also so lonely and I think holding those two things in balance and her ability to do that is really cool. And so I don't mind the ending for that reason. And 
like often I'd be exactly. like, why do they have to make her marry someone? But it's actually kind of beautiful where like we obviously there's ambiguity there, but she near the end of the movie is very open about the fact that she does want companionship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like she's given a chance at that, I guess, which I like. Mm-hmm. Do you think Greta Gerwig believes Joe loves Friedrich? I think so. Friedrich is a weird character, and I wonder if it's just because of how this movie is structured, because most of his screen time is like at the start of the movie, and mm-hmm, then you kind of mm-hmm. forget about forget him, about him. Shows up at the end. And so I had to yeah. watch it like a second or third time before I was convinced with like, okay, this is a genuinely like sweet, nice romance. I can get behind this. The first time I was like, yeah, this feels obligatory and I'm fine with it. Um, yeah. But I mean, yeah, I think, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I think if nothing else, there's a virtue in Joe having someone who's able to like be fully honest with her and confront her with the thing she needs confronting with. Yeah, that is absolutely. like maybe one of her central flaws is that like, yeah. 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 And I think um, when I obviously first watched it too, I was like, this feels like I don't know this guy at all. And she doesn't either. Yeah. And, and I think that might be true. And I think like there's a, a big difference between the way Amy loves Lori and the way Joe loves question mark. Yeah. And I think like there's, I don't know. I just think that, there's obligation and affection probably are very tightly wound together. And I think that's, mm. I don't know, normal. I mean, even with Amy's romance with Lori, like she obviously loved him and we know that for sure. Mm-hmm. But we also know that her financial burden was relieved when she married him. And like, right. that's not a small thing. Like that's significant. And so I think it doesn't really have to be either or. Um, yeah. But I don't know. Yeah. Why do you think uh, Greta Gerwig put two kind of alternate endings into the movie? Well, I think it's what Glenn and I were talking about. Like that, um, I, just, I read an article where someone, well, I don't even know if it was an article. I just remember hearing someone or seeing someone say like, maybe it was Greta, that it was an ending she hoped um, Louisa May Alcott would have liked or would have accepted. Yeah. It, it preserved kind of like the original quote unquote ending but it kind of also honored a very central tenant of Joe's character that was mm-hmm. written into the book. Um, and so I think it kind of gave viewers the opportunity to fully appreciate mm-hmm. even the parts of themselves they see in Joe. Like Joe is really yeah. touted as the central, you know, feminist, cool girl figure. And I think that has the opportunity to be preserved in like the alternate ending. Mm-hmm. And I think the endings, like I was saying, just work so beautifully together in like terms of which is memory, which is reality, which is fantasy. Like they're all kind of, I don't know. It doesn't really feel like a choose your own adventure. It feels like they could both be happening somehow. I don't know why. Yeah. And I think there's also a lot about that ending that feels autobiographical, both to Gerwig and I think to like Alcott as well. Because I think that central frustration that Joe as a writer feels in like that kind of through line with her and the the bookseller where she's like I don't want all of my characters to end up married I don't want all of this I think that was the thing that Alcott herself struggled with with this book in particular I think you're right um and so I think it's a reflection of that and like so much of this is a reflection of like I think Gerwig's own experience with this story and it all kind of 
does tie together mm-hmm. like in that ending with like watching the book being published and everything. Oh yeah, when Glenn was talking, it reminded me. So Noah, earlier you were talking about like compromise and how Amy kind of compromised her dreams in order for financial security or her principles or things she believes in. And I think in a very much like a, obviously a lesser degree that's present in Joe too. I think there are a lot of ways that the two characters parallel each other in kind of mm-hmm. opposite ways. And like even Joe rewriting the ending of her book so that it would be accepted is, you know, kind of a similar compromise to what Amy did. Not not in terms of um, scale, but in terms of like the principles behind it. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was interesting. I, I mean, in a way that is her com- is her compromising, like the thing most important to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. How do you think the themes of Little Women tie into the themes of Lady Bird? Is they're both directed, I believe, or written by Greta yeah. Gerwig? It's been, well, I watched Lady Bird when it first came out, which I forget when that was. So it was a while oh, wow. ago. That was like 2017 or something. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I was thinking I wanted to watch it again just last night, because I think Sarah Joy watched it last night. So that's fun. How do the themes of Little Women tie into the themes of Lady I mean, I'll, I'll answer this, because I wrote an article about it, like, when Little Women came out. Because I did. London, how have I not read this? Have you that's not? Because I. No. Yeah. Well, I read, or. I watched Little Woman and then I watched Lady Bird quickly afterwards. Okay. And nice. so I wrote an article that was like half review of Little Woman, half like yeah. talking about Greta Gerwig. Yeah. And well, a lot please, of what teach me then, because I want to read it. Yeah. Um, a lot of what I talked about though is kind of like I think Gerwig has a real honesty in her characters, especially, and just the way she kind of views their world mm-hmm. where and there's a quote from the end of Little Women, um, right? That I think, like, basically, and it, again, goes with like that autobiog- autobiographical mm-hmm. part where, like, Joe and Amy are talking, and I think Meg's also there. And Joe talks about how writing doesn't confer importance, it reflects it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Amy disagrees and says, like, writing things is what makes them important. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of think that's a lot of the essence of what Gerwig does is Mm. she takes normal people and normal lives and situations and puts them onto screen with such like honesty and almost reverence Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and in doing so like uplifts the experiences of regular people. Yeah, no, totally. That's one of my favorite lines from the movie or at least of Amy's about writing and like her view of that. And I think... Like, I personally agree with it. And it's part of the argument for something like representation in media. But also just in terms of what you were talking about, in terms of ordinary people living their lives, there's obviously we've all read the Book of Ruth or pretended to, whatever. But Colin always talks about the Book of Ruth as, uh, I forget his name for it. He's got like a fun little name. But it's like the parable of the ordinary life or something like that. Or the, like the gospel according to Ruth is all about very much, ordinary people living their lives and doing their best to be faithful in those circumstances and there's something very beautiful about that kind of account being in scripture and being Mm -hmm. upheld in the canon and now I'm starting to sound like Greta Gerwig is the next saint and I'm not trying to sound like that but I think it's a very (laughs) similar process going on in which when we see lives similar to ours either in the practicalities or just in like the the significance of them when we see Mm -hmm. those written on screen or in books are talked about as if they are important then yeah obviously 
like you said, they it confers importance onto them, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have a question. What do you? What jumps out to to you both about the way men are portrayed in Little Women? In contrast, for example, with how men are portrayed in our society, maybe. I think something I like about Little Women, or I think is like maybe charming about it, is that. Um, especially at the beginning of the movie in like the childhood scenes um, or the more colorized scenes, it feels like they're in their own world and it's just mm. like something they control and they're making art in it and they are all friends and they're doing things that are important. They're taking care of this family and their relationship with their mom. It all feels so like it's about them and men don't really factor in at all until they meet Lori. Mm. And then they obviously all have affection for Laurie in one way or another. And he kind of like works his way into the family in that regard. And I love that. Like, I think that's really beautiful. And I love that, you know, Laurie has a relationship with the family that goes beyond um, just like, hopefully I think goes beyond just his interest in Joe. I actually don't think he was showing them kindness or affection just because of Joe. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that's really cool. And that's kind of like the only... I don't know, maybe the only close male relationship we see, obviously May gets married and obviously Lloyd's father's in the picture and their father's in the picture, but it is really like, it's about the little women plus mm-hmm. Lori. <laughs> yeah. And so I think it's a really interesting, like, I don't even know if we get a full view of, you know, what the author intended us to think of men in the book. I mean, you see Lori is like a full 3D character, but the rest of the male characters are very static. Yeah. Um, I know, at least I think so. Yeah, I mean, there, there's, I, I don't think there's any, like, disrespect for men or anything, if that's what you're asking. Like, I remember my first time watching, and I think, no, we've talked about this a little bit. Um, I remember, like, having this fear in the back of my mind, just because I am an adult in, like, the 21st century, where it was like, oh, here's this, like, Laurie's grandfather, like, here's this old man, and he's interacting with all these young women, what's gonna happen but nothing happens he's just a nice old man and I kind of love that um totally oh my gosh yes and like he's great and Bob Odenkirk shows up as the dad and Mm -hmm. that scene makes me cry every time Mm -hmm. it's so good it is good yeah it really is and like there is also something about obviously the male-female relationship is examined in terms of economics but it's not really in other ways and there's almost something nice about that like not every movie about women has to examine how do we relate to these guys and what's going on here like they're mostly just in their own world and while there are these um like proposals of marriage and things that obviously men factor into they don't have to like you know dissect sexism or the patriarchy yeah (laughs) like obviously there are references made to it but it's not they don't have that burden on themselves, I feel like, or the the movie doesn't put that burden on itself, mm-hmm. which I kind of like. We're allowed to have, like, just nice older men who are there to yeah. just be nice people. Exactly. <laughs> which is nice. <laughs> and also, I think that's kind of nice because in the movie, it's pretty clear how systemic sexism plays into the women's lives. So we right. don't really need some big, bad male figure to, like, make yeah. it obvious. Like, the guys can be nice because the women are obviously... Um, disadvantaged in other ways and yeah that's enough to communicate their yeah. world I think and I think it I think it helps with the overall tone of the movie too because it's not like mm-hmm. there's any threat anywhere like no one's gonna yeah yeah it's just here's everybody trying their best and <laughs> that's great 
totally. Do you want to talk about Beth at all and perhaps her relationship with the other characters? How do you perhaps um, relate to Beth or how mm. you like the character or the ways that you see her um, uh, interact with the other characters in the film? Is there anything that jumps out to you about that? Or is there anything you want to say about Beth? I just feel like we've talked a lot about the the other aspects of the film, but Beth is a pretty major factor that hasn't been mentioned so far. Sure. Um yeah. And you can, I don't know, you can talk about her relationship with Laurie's grandfather or like something with the piano, what the piano and music symbolizes in the film, perhaps, and the way Beth inter interplays with that. Anything jump out mm-hmm. to you about any of those prompts? Well, Beth in lots of ways is my favorite of the sisters because she is good <laughs> and goodness <laughs> is a value of mine personally. And I love the, the scene where Laurie and Amy are waiting to visit the family go to the funeral whatever and Amy says she was the best of us and that's literally what she represents in the film is she is the best of the sisters or she represents what they could be when they are at their best Mm. you know and like it's such a strong theme that we see like her so the poor family that lives near them they go visit them bring them their Christmas breakfast it's great and then none of the other sisters really like remember about them but Beth brings it up and the sisters are kind of like, yeah, maybe later. And she says, okay, well, I suppose I'll go alone. And she gets sick. And yeah. that's probably a major reason she dies. And so I think, like, I see Beth as, like, what what the sisters are aspiring to be and what I aspire to be. And they, like, clearly don't live up to it. And because of that, mm-hmm. like, it does cost Beth personally. Um, I don't know. I love Beth. She's so good. <laughs> I, again, just ripping off of other people um mikey newman has a video where it's like best of 2020 and it's like little woman midsummer couple or 2019 not 2020 2020 didn't exist yet we didn't know what we were in for um but yeah it's like he just has like mini reviews and something he mentions in little woman is like the way this movie is structured is so that the heartbeat of the movie like the central focus of the movie is beth like everything revolves around her Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm, yeah which i love like i love that i love that i mean we're obviously like we're focused on joe and amy and to an extent Lori, but like it's all contextualized by Mm -hmm. like broadly the relationship Mm -hmm. with their family and that is kind of like like you said that is personified through their relationship with beth who is like the heartbeat of all of this what do you think yeah totally yeah it's so true I think we see Beth as like, oh, it's like a background character, but she's so not because even the timeline of the movie like hinges on what happens to her. And Mm -hmm. yeah, totally. Gonna ask, what do you think the well, Little Women and maybe the movie, um, but like I don't know, the story in general has to say about goodness, beauty, and truth. And for those of you that don't know, Louisa May Alcott was um, related to the transcendental movement Mm -hmm. in the American 1800s. And so goodness, beauty, and truth typically factor into their work. How do you think those three transcendentals are portrayed? Or what do you think the little women has to say about their role or how they're um, perhaps experienced? I think we just talked about goodness with Beth. Mm. Like, I think that's kind of the primary mode in which that value or idea um, 
is communicated. Um, goodness, beauty, and truth. For truth, like, I think, especially for Amy and Joe, and le- at least in this adaptation, yeah. um, the their character development is very much um, a process of like them admitting to themselves what is true about mm-hmm. who they love or don't love about what they want or don't want about what they need um especially in terms of like joe and her admitting to herself that she's lonely um yeah so i think that like they those two characters are kind of like vehicles for um i don't know if vehicles is the right word but they they show us what it means to like reckon with the truth of who you are um, in a meaningful way. I don't know. Beauty, I'm not sure. Maybe Glendon. I mean, the movie's beautiful, but in terms of yeah. the movie, Alcott, maybe Glendon can say something. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess just in terms of like, I think you can interpret beauty in so many ways. And I think there's a lot of ways in which this movie is beautiful um, and this story is beautiful. maybe just again in the way it conveys like human life and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. human response to not even necessarily like suffering but just hardship in life and like the the kind of strength of the soul to continue Mm -hmm. moving i would say maybe beauty is found in the small things that require you to pay attention because that's the only way you can really notice it and that's kind of what the story is all about mm-hmm. is looking at the the people most would overlook and you yeah. can see there's beauty there right mm-hmm. hey noah what but are your movie. what are your opinions of the men in this movie i mean i i just yeah glendon already talked about what i would have said with regards to the men in the movie because we okay. did talk about the grandfather at laurie's grandfather okay. and how he's kind of portrayed but also i think there's perhaps a i don't know a more playful yeah playfulness in the men maybe a femininity one could even say Mm -hmm. um that's present in the men in the movie that is overlooked oftentimes in society Mm -hmm. Um, yeah you can see it in the way laurie behaves and interacts with the women yeah there's an interesting um i know like jory or jory wow um like Joe dresses more masculine over the course of the timeline. If I remember correctly, like they basically swap outfits to an extent, which is <laughs> yeah, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And I think so much of that, how men are portrayed, does have to do with directing because, right? Like I don't remember the book very well, but a lot of the the things we assume about Laurie or the other men in the movie come from the way they look or appear to us on screen. And so mm-hmm. I'm curious, like I'd like to read the book again and kind of think through that question again, Noah, because I feel like I totally agree with what you're saying in terms of this adaptation of the movie. I'm just curious um, about other adaptations or that kind of thing. Yeah. I assume it would be different. Anything else that you've been dying to talk about i mean we haven't talked about how amazing laura dern in this movie is <laughs> laura dern is amazing movie. oh when is she not i know like i i feel like i just have a growing list of movies where i want laura dern to be my mom mm-hmm. um, yeah totally and I, she's just so good like she has so many like understated scenes in this movie and it's great yeah it is great. Oh, I love her. She's just a comforting figure. And mm-hmm. yeah, just someone you can trust, in my opinion. <laughs> the only reason Glendon's looking forward to Jurassic World 3. <laughs> no, that's true. 
I'm like, oh, Laura Dern's in this. This might be worth have to see. Yeah. <laughs> it's an old tweet. I'm surprised you remember that. I, I mean, I, I guess I just pay attention. Anything else? It's a good movie. It's, it's like probably my favorite movie that came out in 2019. And there are a lot of good movies that came out in 2019. Yeah, there were. I remember thinking, I think I watched it on Christmas Day last year. Mm. But yeah, it's still for sure top three. What else came out in 2019? Because I feel like I felt the same way. And I, yeah, mm. I think Knives Out would be up there for me. Right, yeah. I think, I don't know if it'd be top three. Jojo Rabbit's probably top five. That's a good movie, yeah. Um, while Maddie, I think, is looking something up. I yeah, think I'm we can up. end off the. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. The little, yeah, you can. While you find that, we can end off the little women section with one question okay. that I think wraps it up. What do you think the film has to say about love? Ooh. I think um, it has to say that love is very, very complicated, and I think it calls into the question, calls into question the concept of true love, mm. and kind of challenges it and says like okay sure you can love someone but also like there are so many other things that that feed into that um and they're not necessarily straightforward i don't know yeah Yeah, it i don't want to say it problematizes true love but it yeah it 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 creates an interesting conversation i especially think of stuff like i mean you mentioned joe's scene which like obviously and Mm -hmm. that's one where like I watch and I just obviously in a lot of ways I can't relate but like in a lot of ways I'm like this is such a like relatable character I guess I, I was gonna yeah. have a more interesting way to talk about that but like yeah like that idea of okay here's someone who like desperately wants like comfort and affection um, but like that doesn't mean that hey here's this person who like will love you. Do you love them? No, you just want to be loved. And I think that's such a like, yeah, that's such a universal kind of like experience. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And I don't know if I've seen that explored in a lot of fiction. It's Mm -hmm. love is just sort of like something convenient that happens to you. And Mm -hmm. this is very much like, yeah, love is complex. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's important, but don't don't jump into like affection just because you need it, I guess. Yeah, totally. I would agree. To jump off of a theme from Lady Bird, do you think there's a relationship between love and paying attention portrayed in this film? Right. I forgot about that quote. I mean, I think we see Joe decide she maybe loves. Lori, or at least wants him when she starts paying attention <laughs> to mm. like herself and her own desires. I don't really think that's what Noah you're referencing, though, Noah. Not exactly, but I don't mind if you subvert the question. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it just immediately makes me think, again, kind of like what we've talked about in terms of like conferring importance by like paying attention to something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. I think that wraps up the little women section then. I know Glendon really wanted to talk in detail about Evermore because we didn't do that on the previous episode. Um, Maddie, have you listened to the album? I have listened to the album. Yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> Maddie's like, That's what album? Or two. <laughs> what, are your, what are your initial thoughts? 
Um, okay, so my initial thoughts are I really enjoyed it. Um, it's hard not to think about it in relation to folklore, which is yeah. I'm sure what everyone's doing. Um, and I think after a few lessons, I've obviously listened to folklore more, but after a few lessons of Evermore, I think I still prefer folklore as a whole album. But there are songs on um, Evermore I really enjoy. I think there are just a few more that I don't really enjoy, maybe. I don't know. Um, I, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of been my response with it. I. I like a lot of Evermore, um, mm-hmm. and I think there may be a few songs that I like in isolation better than most songs on Folklore, but mm-hmm. Evermore, I struggle with it as like a cohesive album. It doesn't seem mm-hmm. quite as refined as Ever or as Folklore did, but it's still Yeah, really and Folklore cool. definitely felt, yeah, of course. <laughs> folklore felt more like, yeah, its own little universe. Yeah. And then we're thinking of Evermore in the same universe, and it is, but it feels like a little bit less like the universe, I think. That's a really good way to put it. Because there's so many... Folklore has, like, very one, like, cohesive sound. You have cohesive stories running through. And Evermore picks up on a lot of those things and a lot of those ideas, but is also, like, here's some more country sounds, here's some more pop sounds, mm-hmm. and it's... I like all of those. They're just mm-hmm. not, they don't feel like they're part of the same world. That's a really good way yeah. of putting it. Like it feels discordant in that sense. Yeah, totally. So it's not that I don't enjoy the music, but folklore was much more of an immersive, isolated experience, which I really like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do you think the discordant nature of Evermore was intentional or a byproduct of Taylor perhaps rushing an album? My... I don't think she, well, I have no, I obviously have no insight into like what actually went on behind the scenes. Yeah. It's not that it feels rushed at all. Um, I just think there's a bit more variety and I don't know if it was, I don't know. Okay. I wasn't prepared to answer. Glendon, you go first. <laughs> um, I don't know. This is something I've been thinking about a lot. Um, especially like happiness is a song that I don't love. I think it's, I like the sentiment. I think it's really repetitive and this is, mm-hmm. that's a song she wrote apparently like a week before the album's release. And my initial thought oh, is wow. like, that makes sense to me. Um, yeah. I don't want to say, I don't want to say it's rushed. I just, I I think there's a difference between being rushed and less refined, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Like, yeah, fair. there's a lot that I like about Evermore, where I also feel like if there had been more time spent with it, it could have been an even better product. But I rushed just sounds so negative, and I don't want to say it's rushed because obviously she. Didn't That's interesting. Have, no, I didn't. Yeah, she didn't have any pressure to put it out or anything. Say, so. Yeah, I didn't know that about like happiness or anything like that. So I feel like it's definitely possible that it was like time was a constraint. So I don't know. Do you think Taylor should have released another album that would have been more, or do you think she should have released this album in a more refined state? would you think that would have improved it? Or do you think this was her vision? No. I think there is something very special about her giving us so many albums so close together. And it is like, it almost adds to the experience of like, of that. And so while maybe she could have refined the music more or the album sequencing or something, I feel like at the end of the day, she like really gave the people what they wanted Mm -hmm. and didn't disappoint. Like the album is still a great album. Yeah. Um, Not that it couldn't be improved. I don't know. But I'm yeah. not a very musical person, so I don't think I'm the per- 
really answer that question. That's fair. Editor's note, Maddie plays violin and led worship teams at Ambrose. It, it, it's such a weird thing to judge because this is essentially an album that we got for free. Like, it cost money, obviously, mm-hmm. but, like, this was an album nobody expected, possibly even less than Folklore. Mm-hmm. Like, Folklore came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and then here's another album immediately after that that, yeah. like, again, not, like, a full cycle or anything or a concert tour. Like, it's just, yeah. by the way, here's a second album on top of that. And so it's so yeah. hard to define in terms of, like, should she have done this? Should she not have done this? Should she have waited more? Like, I think there are ways that maybe I would have preferred like more time spent on it, but I also definitely think this was her vision. I think this is an album she's super mm-hmm. happy with and she sounds very pleased with. So I also yeah. don't know what else she would have done with it necessarily. That's, it's a really hard thing to tell. Yeah, totally. Are there any specific songs that jump out at you as being particularly, I don't know, either relatable for you or just special on the album? (laughs) Yes. Yes, there are. (laughs) Well, okay. Obviously, the first listen standouts are different than the the, um, actual standouts. Like, after a few listens, I really, really love Coney Island. I just think it's a very beautiful song. I love The National, personally, and so I Mm. think... They're a great collaboration. I love how their voices work together. I really like that song. It just feels nostalgic. And like when she says, I'm sitting on a bench in Coney Island wondering where did my baby go? I'm like, oh, me too. Wow. Like it really makes you feel in the moment. Um, I love Ivy. Mm. I like it because it's pretty obviously about like some sort of infidelity or potential infidelity and like a struggle between two choices. But it's also like very upbeat and I like the, the melody of it. Oh, there are, there are a lot of good songs this album. I feel bad for even saying it's not perfect because it's great. I love Tis the Damn Season because it's about a hometown and I'm from a very small hometown. And so it makes me feel like it reminds me of, it's relatable, I guess, in that sense. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, going home for the summer and thinking about people you were involved with <laughs> um, or the holidays or whatever. Not anymore, obviously, goodness. Um, and then Nobody No Crime is the murder song. I love Heim. Heim is one of my favorites. Heim is so bands. good. Heim is so good. Like, I really, really love them. And so I was very, I was anticipating the song a lot. Um, some people have said they don't like this song because it feels too, like, almost jokey or, like, too playful. But I think, like, it is very much, um, Glenda made a comment about there are some songs that are more poppy, some songs that are more uh, country. And, like, it's, this is paying um, respect to Taylor's country roots because like absolutely there's a story about me when I was probably I don't know I was probably like nine or ten and I was at a friend's house playing on her karaoke machine and I grew up loving the Dixie Chicks and we were singing I don't know if you know the song Goodbye Earl Goodbye Earl is about the by the Dixie Chicks it's about a woman who her best friend is being abused by her husband and so they plot Mm -hmm. to kill him and they kill him and I got in trouble for singing it on the karaoke machine because it's like pretty explicitly about murder and anyway there are a lot of songs about women in country music murdering their husbands or their best friend's husbands for being abusive for cheating etc like it's the Miranda Lambert like, song gunpowder and lead comes to mind yeah. like it's very it's a theme it's a very defined genre in, in country music so I love that she pays respect to that and I think it's a well-written song it's fun yeah. it's uh yeah I like it 
I was really surprised because at least all the Heim that I've listened to is very like kind of alt rock. And I was surprised mm-hmm. that they came on for like this basically country ballad, which I was like down for, but it was not what I was expecting. Totally. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> Sorry, I've been talking a lot. Uh, what are everyone else's favorite songs? Oh, um, also Tolerate It. Tolerate It is so sad. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so sad. I think. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead, Simon. Like, just first listen to two of the ones that hit me the most were tolerated because it was tragic also closure which like mm-hmm. crushed my heart listening to it now it's like a really short song so it kind of goes back goes by pretty quickly but like yeah. i i do the i do love the chorus of it um in terms of favorites um i feel like champagne problems is like the saddest thing taylor's ever written yeah, that's rough. It's, yeah, it is. It's so rough. Um, especially that bridge. Um, it yeah, it goes deep. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I like I like Gold Rush. Gold Rush is a song that I skimmed by the first couple times, and then just suddenly fell in love with it. Um, first of all, it just sounds mm-hmm. really fun. I love a lot of her work with Jack Antonoff. And that's like her one Jack Antonoff song in this album, but it's really good. Yeah. Um, but also just yeah, totally. Taylor throughout her last couple of albums has like this kind of recurring theme of like being in a relationship, but still having anxieties. And I just kind of enjoy that representation. <laughs> um, yeah. Then, I don't know, totally. It's just good. Um, long story short, I really liked um Marjorie I really really liked Coney Island like you said is good I Nobody No Crime is definitely one of those songs that I enjoy in isolation it sounds off with the rest of the album but on its own it's incredible I don't know what it is about it it's also wedged between tolerate it and happiness which are very different vibes than Nobody No yeah. Crime <laughs> yeah exactly so the sequencing's a little weird yeah I yeah. really I want to see what somebody would do by taking these songs and just changing up the track list. I, yeah, I, totally. I, I wonder how much like a different order would help this album for me. Yeah, yeah, honestly. Noah, have you talked about favorites? Sorry, are you done your list? I think so. I mean... You don't want to comment on any other songs that you have opinions on? I have opinions on all these songs. <laughs> That's my mm-hmm. point. Evermore is a great song too. I really enjoy that song. Yeah, Glendon, what's your opinion about Evermore? Evermore? Um, I think I think I need to like listen to it more. It hasn't really stuck with me. I like it. I think it's like the one structural thing Taylor does better in this than in folklore is Evermore feels like a stronger ending song than Hoax does. Totally, as much as totally. I love Hoax, it's so like weirdly ambiguous and evermore just like feels like a good album ender to me ending yeah yeah i also like i like evermore and things they're a beautiful song it's definitely not as strong as your other bonnie bear feature like her yeah it's not as strong as exile exile yeah a great song it's so good i will say maddie don't apologize for talking too much you're the guest you're supposed to be talking more than the hosts oh (laughs) well i don't want to be too There are there are sixteen episodes where they can listen to me or Glendon talk. So, (laughs) amazing. Are there any running themes on the album that you think jump out to you? 
or is there a life thereof that bothers you? Hint, hint, Glendon. Yeah, like what Glenn was saying about, I don't know, cohesiveness. I feel like in folklore, there felt like there were more, um, mm-hmm. I'm just pulling up the other, the, I'll track list now. There were more cohesive themes or it felt more. So yeah, maybe I missed that in this album. I'm sure there are themes that tie it all together, but it, yeah, folklore felt like there were particular themes in a very specific way, especially with what she did afterwards where she, she released those like sets of yeah. songs, calling them chapters. And it like, it very much made sense. Mm-hmm. Whereas I don't does. know if she would be able to do the same thing. I mean, I hope she does. Yeah, to yeah. help it make sense for us, but it's harder to see in Evermore maybe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's something we're like, I mean, I mentioned Nobody, No Crime, where maybe not mm-hmm. musically, but thematically fits perfectly in with folklore because you have stuff yeah. like Last Great American Dynasty and Mad Woman, where you're playing mm-hmm. with like these women scorn things. And there's a lot less of that in this yeah. album. And so yeah. it makes sense kind of in that world that you were talking about. It makes sense that it's like in these two albums, but in terms of Evermore specifically, it's like nothing else is really on that vibe on the same extent. Yeah, yeah. The closest thing I would say to themes, I guess, is folklore to me feels very like end of summer, start of fall, kind of like it's sad, but it's a very cozy, comforting sad. Um, mm-hmm. Evermore, at least the sad on Evermore, feels very like cold, brittle winter. Um, and it's, again, I have like champagne problems because the damn season, a couple other mm-hmm. ones in mind, but there's something very blatant in Evermore that is kind of wrapped up in more subtlety and folklore. And mm-hmm. there are ways that can be bad, but there's also ways that's really good. Like yeah. stuff like tolerated enclosure. I don't know if you would get on folklore because they're mm-hmm. so in your face in ways that I really enjoy. Yeah, that's a good point. I agree with you. I don't know. Noah, do you have any thoughts on overall themes? No, I think I said everything I wanted to on the last episode when we talked we, about this. We briefly. barely talked about it on the last episode, and now Maddie's here. You need to but talk I'm, about yeah, it. Also, sure. <laughs> I don't think you even told us your favorite song, Dad. No. I'm pretty Noah sure just keeps, on the last Noah on the last episode I'm pretty questions. sure I talked about how like the running theme of different stories being told on the album and it's almost like a collection of stories mm-hmm. was how yeah I and that's true it. and that's like I'm pretty sure i talked about that. i think um folklore has that too where like it's mm-hmm. like taylor swift the storyteller almost which i love i think that's so cool like with great yeah. american dynasty and um there are just so many songs you're like okay she's playing a character and it really works for her and mm-hmm. uh, yeah i like that Glenn, did you want to talk about the the importance of color on the album? Um, Maybe continue the strand from folklore. I know you yeah, talked about that. It stood out less to me. This feels, I guess, in the in the same realm of like storytelling. This and maybe it's just because I haven't dug into the lyrics as much. This feels slightly less autobiographical than folklore was. Mm-hmm. Um, not even that folklore was super autobiographical, but there are stuff like Last Great American Dynasty. I think a really cool example and I think there's a reason it's so high in the album because it's both her like telling someone else's story and then like tying it into herself which is so good and brilliant and I love that song um Mm -hmm. but yeah like Invisible String is very filled with like Taylor Swift color theory in terms of like blues and golds and all these different things um Mm -hmm. there's a lot less of that that i've noticed yeah 
there's nothing gold rush i guess is the closest thing where it's like mm-hmm. um i think i think gold is generally like associated with her relationship with joe alwyn and so gold rush ties into that really nicely but mm-hmm. i don't know it, it feels it definitely feels less autobiographical it feels a lot more like her and aaron desner and joe alwyn just writing like breakup fanfics and it's kind of great, <laughs> but also kind yeah. of like, are you guys like, okay, do you need therapy? Yeah, totally. <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah. Do you think there's any imagery that runs throughout the album? Hmm. Any images that show up in different songs that oh. might relate to something? Honestly, I'm sure there is. I just don't think I'm thinking mm-hmm. of it. I feel like fire comes up a bunch, but I could be wrong. I could just be hmm. like listening to Ivy on repeat. Valid. <laughs> It's a big question to ask, so uh, yeah. I get it. If you, it is very like, I don't know if this counts, but there there are a lot of like late November into December imagery of just like totally Christmas decking the halls, etc. It's it's the saddest Christmas song, Christmas album ever. So yeah, do you remember? I don't know how long you've been listening to Taylor Swift, but it's going back to December. Yes. I was thinking so about very that. sad Taylor Swift song. Yeah, and set in December. And I was thinking about sad December songs while I was listening yeah. to Evermore. It definitely has that vibe of like, it's Christmas time, but I just broke up with someone or whatever. Yeah. And it's, it's sad. Yeah, no, I I was, I got thinking of that because I was like, I'd listened to Evermore a bunch and was finally like, I need to listen to things that are not Evermore for a little bit. But yeah, like I had like November... December to the damn season, etc. And then I listened to back back to mm-hmm. December. I'm like, is this like an intentional connection? Because this feels connected mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah, yeah, totally. Do either of you have any like a feminist interpretation of the album, or do you think there are any feminist themes that jump out to you from the album? Well, yeah, sure. I don't know if, about overarching themes, but I think like. Well, something that I thought was funny was Glendon sent me this thing from Tumblr that was basically like, Champagne Problems about Lori. And it made me so oh, yeah. sad. But it made me think of like the, this idea of like, yeah, a woman's right to say no to something that is actually like a really good thing. And people think she's crazy for not saying yes to it. And mm-hmm. um, that's obviously like a theme with Joe and Lori. And then, yeah, in Champagne Problems, it's very much like, okay, he's obviously a lovely person from a very wealthy family. <laughs> and things were going well so what happened and yeah. I think that's a very interesting theme of like yeah I'm actually fascinated by people who this sounds weird but by people who break off engagements or who you know break up kind of late in a relationship and I always have like such deep admiration for people mm-hmm. whether it's a guy or a girl who decides to do that because it is like a deeply brave choice to look at your future and say even if this looks like such a beautiful thing, I don't think it's right for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think Champagne Problems has that idea. Like you don't realize until they're down on me that it's not the right thing. And yeah. I don't know if that's a feminist interpretation. I think that's just like good emotional intelligence <laughs> or like self-awareness. So maybe I take back what I said, but it reminded me of Joe, who's obviously a feminist figure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then nobody, no crime. I mean, come on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, it's interesting because folklore so obviously plays with like the Mad Woman in the Attic idea. Um, mm-hmm. 
and that comes out less in this, but there is like something about this feels more modern, like kind of a lot of the themes set up in folklore and like kind of a modern perspective. Not that folklore isn't modern, but it just, for some reason, I want to like put it in like the 1800s. Um, oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. But like, <laughs> there, there's so much, I think, subtlety about like women power, kind of, you mentioned champagne problems, no body, no crime. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And for, for some reason, like that, that like women, like strength, um, able to like choose, even like within a toxic relationship, seems to keep coming up, like Ivy, long story short. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I think even Cowboy, like me to an extent. Mar and Marjorie is yeah. so much like, because it's about her like dead grandmother, I believe. And yeah, it's yeah. I basically, so. like an ode to like this woman who showed so much like strength and power in her life. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. if yeah. there is anything cohesive to this album, I think it's that. Is there anything about the actual like m musical aspect, the instrumental aspect mm -hmm. that jumps out to you? Well, the first thing that jumped out to me was something that Glendon already said about like the lack of um consistent genre like there's there's some songs for example like gold rush um which is like oh there's like a pop song like this sounds like it's on red or lover even or something like that yeah and then there are songs like yeah like nobody no crime um even some of the more like folky ones that are kind of like oh it's kind of country or that kind of thing and then some songs that are like very much feel like in the the folklore universe and so yeah, yeah i think that variety is interesting like as much as I like an album that I can just listen to all the way through and think I'm in like a different world, like folklore is, mm. that's really beautiful. But there's also something to be said for um, Taylor Swift's versatility. And I think she's just like demonstrates that very well in this album that mm -hmm. um, versatility, did I say versatility? That's not really how you're supposed to say that. <laughs> Anyways, her ability to be versatile on the album, um, it's something I admire. Like as much as it doesn't really give you the same listening experience, um, it's cool. Like she does it all well, so. Mm. Yeah, you made a you made a point that I definitely thought of. Where like I listened to like long story short, feels like it could be a song of lover. Closure mm -hmm. feels like maybe rep, maybe lover. Mm -hmm. Closure's so weird, and I love it, but it's very strange. <laughs> um, there, there's definitely a sense where she's kind of like pulling from her whole discography in a bit. There was one thing mm -hmm. I think I mentioned last time that sort of bothered me on first listen. I don't know if it still bothers me, but like definitely Ivy to an extent Willow like seemed to borrow instrumentation from other songs where like oh. Ivy Ivy just makes me think of Invisible String and Willow does right. a little bit as well. Um, yeah. I think Long Story Short sounds a lot to me like Last Great American Dynasty um, yeah. which I love both songs but it, it's I wonder if that's part of why this doesn't feel as cohesive to me is because so much of it just sounds like things she already did on folklore. Yeah, interesting. I didn't even think about that. strange. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you're saying, especially about, um, what was the first comparison you made? Invisible String um, and uh, Ivy. Probably Ivy, yeah. Yeah, totally. I didn't really think about that, but that is, yeah, fair point. Something, something about the instrumentation in this album as a whole doesn't feel like, like there are so many specific kind of like licks and just interesting yeah. musical motifs that like 
would carry a song through folklore. And I feel like there's mm-hmm. less of that in this album, which makes me yeah. sad. Yeah, true. Yeah, I'd agree. What kind of lasting impression do you think this album will have on you? To be determined, probably. <laughs> Ask me in a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've listened to it lots already and I love it. Which album do you think is more longevity? I think folklore. Yeah, that's still my feeling. It's so they really created something completely new for Taylor Swift mm-hmm. and invited her listeners into that and like felt, yeah, like I said, like its own universe. And there was something very specific about that experience, especially in quarantine, I think. And so mm-hmm. or in isolation or whatever people were experiencing at that time. So it was just like a more specific experience, I think, which maybe is what would lend itself to longevity. Yeah. I mean, kind of like what I've said before, there's a lot of songs that I like in isolation off of this. Um, but folklore is such an experience. And and I think a, a lot of ways, this is essentially an, an extension of what folklore started. Mm-hmm. I'm, I am really, really curious what her next step from this is, though. Like, Me too. Now Me that too. She's, so curious. Yeah. Now that she's basically done two, like, pretty solid folk albums. Because, I mean, she's done, like, kind of radio pop with 1989, very, like... Yeah alt kind of r&b with rep lovers like almost dream pop which i adore mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so yeah i i wonder if there's like a middle ground that she finds or if she does this, something completely new i want i want alt rock in the style of haunted i just want nice. an entire album like that that would yeah. make me so happy <laughs> oh haunted what a song that would be great noah lasting impressions future desires i mean that's an impossible question to answer and I'm going to try to answer it anyway in post because I literally gave zero opinions on this album at all on this podcast because I, uh, long story, basically socially could not at that point function. So um, I will take over for a sad past Noah and jump in and say that Evermore to me feels like a fantasy coming to terms with reality and I don't know if it's like a fantasy versus reality or if they're both just included but I find myself just invited to not not just invited but I find myself drawn into this album in a way that I wasn't with folklore and I can't even explain why I just have such an emotional response to most of these songs and maybe it has to do with with something that's said in Gold Rush that that Maybe it is that that this album is like that fantasy, that daydream that is so inviting. I just want to jump in. Um, And maybe it's just that I relate to that. And I think Taylor, obviously, she wrote the song. But I think she and I both have that problem of of fantasizing. And and maybe I find myself fantasizing and putting myself into these stories the way Taylor put herself into imaginary relationships with whoever she's talking about in the song. And I mean, I relate to that, too. But I don't know, I just keep I keep jumping back to these songs and like from from Willow to Tis the Damn Season to Nobody No Crime, Happiness, like these songs just draw me in and draw out an emotional response. And I don't know if it's like nostalgia, happiness, sadness, just an overall sense of empathy, but it just makes me feel something. And I don't know if I even need to justify that. Maybe I maybe you don't need to justify how you feel, and maybe you can just feel it. And that's how I feel about this album. I wish I had more to say about specific songs, but like, 
sometimes it's just the melody sometimes it's a certain riff a certain um instrument sometimes it's a lyric that jumps out at me a line a, a phrase and they just draw me in and i just can't explain why this album has such an emotional impact on me personally more so than it seems to at least for maddie or glendon from what i can tell but it, they didn't really talk about that I don't care if it's not cohesive. I've never listened to albums for that reason. I pick out songs I like typically and I'll jam to them. If the album is cohesive, like some of the Wonder Years top albums, it's great. But for me, it doesn't need to be. I fundamentally just care that these songs make me feel and I'm drawn into these experiences, these relationships that Taylor Swift seems to paint in in her writing because all these songs are about relationships relationships and how to respond to them and there's a sense of independence as well i mean there there is champagne problems where as they talked about on, on this episode that there there it's okay to say no it's okay and, and it might suck but you still have every right to say no or that like happiness where sometimes relationships just don't work out and there it's okay to recognize that yeah, there is happiness in these relationships and there's happiness after these relationships and there was happiness before. It's just all a matter of looking at it through different lenses. Songs like, um, like again, Tis the Damn Season, a song about a, a past relationship, the nostalgia of going home and uh, maybe traveling down a path, imagining a different path that you could have taken that seems so appealing now, like Gold Rush, and you, you're tempted to jump in again. Um, but it's nostalgia. It's nostalgia, and it's not real. So that's why I wonder if there's this fantasy and reality coming to terms with each other. You've got this fantasy of happiness constantly coming to terms with the reality of broken relationships. I don't know. Maybe Marjorie tops it off for me, which is weird. But Taylor Swift coming to terms with um, her her grandmother's passing, and and I I love I love the outro. I, it just, I don't know, this seems to put to me, the way I understand this album is somewhat summarized in just these, what is it, six, eight lines. If I didn't know better, I'd think you were singing to me now. If I didn't know better, I'd think you were still around. I know better, but I still feel you all around. I know better, but you're still around. And you have that blur between fantasy and reality. And maybe it's coming to terms with the fact that fantasy and reality aren't binaries. They're not a duality. And that Taylor comes to terms with the fact that, like, she wants she wants to. She wants to believe that her grandmother can still speak to her, can still sing to her, that she can still hear her and feel her. And she's okay believing that she can. And perhaps even knows that she can. And there's this, almost this um, transcendent but presentness to it that, I just find so appealing and maybe that's the album for me it's transcendent but also present um, it calls you into these fantasies but also brings you back down to the ground of reality and maybe realizing that there's a place for both and that maybe they're not so distinct and that things that seem fantastical are also real it's almost I, I, I can't believe I'm using this term but it's almost incarnational something that seems transcendent fantastical divine otherworldly being present in this moment with what is with physicality and just <laughs> giving in to that sacramental 
perspective and it's like you know better you 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 feel you you can can touch the physical aspects of it and you can deal with the realities of life that feel dark and just empty and you can look at the (laughs) the attempted coup on the white house you can look at you can look at the broken relationships that taylor swift sings about and the way that reality just seems to be broken and you can still (laughs) you can know you can know better and still realize there's something magical something divine something powerful and happy and also real that's ever present in all of it too and for taylor that's her grandmother and that's a beautiful thing and you know one word that that comes to mind that can also describe the unity of transcendence and presence um or the unity of the divine and the the physical world another word for the incarnation is love and i think this whole album is also about love and love in different ways and different forms and different relationships and i I don't know ivy brings me back to in medieval literature we talked about how in in uh, medieval times they described affairs or adulterous love as being the most divine form of love i don't exactly remember the reasoning i don't remember if it's maybe because that it was almost more of like a choice back then when normally marriages weren't. I remember maybe being something like that, but, and there are songs on this album about infidelity, like Ivy. And maybe Taylor Swift answers that question by saying that there's this fatal flaw that makes you long to be magnificently cursed by being with me in, in this relationship, or in this fantastical story relationship. And maybe that is, maybe that's the kind of love that draws you into dangerous places places that are considered maybe even wrong and yet maybe that love is found in the wrong place love is found in in the weird different illicit places and i don't know i i just love that perspective and i think maybe this whole album maybe this unity of fantasy and reality is can be described as love love in so many different ways shapes and forms forbidden love um unrequited love and some suddenly we're back in conversation with little women of what is love and is love the ability to pay attention are they synonyms like is um described in Lady Bird? is love to notice the little things like so many of the songs that taylor describe uh, taylor writes describe just little relationships normal relationships and yet love is present there and broken relationships and love is present there too and maybe that's what i love about happiness maybe for me happiness is less about like the happy kind of go lucky happiness that you think of and more about joy the joy that is in found in the lack of things the joy that has love inter rooted and interconnected within it but love is there before after and during relationships love is just present and something that feels so fantastical unreal so transcendent something like love is also here present in the moment in all of it and maybe that's what i get from the album maybe that's just my I'm probably just reading into it. It's probably my own interpretation. I don't know if it's really there, but that's why I like it. I can read that into it. I can take that out of it, and no one can tell me otherwise. I'm not going to say this is absolutely a better album than Folklore. It probably objectively isn't, and I don't really care. Um, At this point, it just makes me feel the transcendent 
imminence of love and that's all I need. Any other final thoughts? I don't think so. I feel blessed by Taylor Swift. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like Lauren said, I'm very, very excited to see what she does next because she's shown that she can kind of do anything. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm curious, like she obviously felt at home in this genre because she put out another album. And so mm-hmm. I'm just curious how this will change. Yeah. Just like the way she presents herself and that kind of thing. Yeah. I, something I think folklore and to a lesser extent Evermore really did is really put her on like, she's kind of always been on the public map, but these were albums, especially, again, especially folklore, like albums that really proved how like skilled she was on a, like a technical level on a lyrical level and all these different things. Yeah. really like put her best at the forefront. Yeah. And I think I've seen a lot of, I mean, I see like John Coots and Colin Toffelmeyer on Twitter talking about folklore and Taylor Swift, mm-hmm. which isn't something I feel like I would have yeah. conceived otherwise. Um, and so I'm, yeah, I'm really yeah. interested to see like what she does with that, if anything. There's a lot of value in a band that is willing to evolve. Um, I mean, like one of my favorite bands has always been Reliant K. And Reliant K sounds almost different album to album, never mind like mm-hmm. look at their early albums versus their later albums. There's so yeah. many ways in which they mature and improve and change their sound to reflect that. Yeah. And I appreciate that Taylor is doing that. I appreciate really any artist who does that and doesn't just do the same thing forever. Yeah, no, totally. It's weird that this album came out like a week ago. Yeah, that's so strange. What is time? <laughs> <laughs> Like, I feel like I've had it for a month now and have, like, been digesting it. But it was, mm-hmm. like, eight days, I think, if yeah. that. Because it was, like, midnight Friday. Yeah. You've you've technically had a month to digest it at the point in time this podcast is actually yeah, true. Yeah, how was your Christmas, guys? Oh, so good. Yeah. It was great. I can't what see my mom, of... and I'm so sad. Yeah, that's fair. I was... I don't know, because technically, as of, like, a couple hours ago, I have the house to myself for, like, a week or so. Oh, nice. And so I was like, technically, I'm home alone. So I can technically, I think, meet up with, like, one or two people. Oh, yeah, I don't know right, right. what the rules are. And so I was like, oh, I'll yeah. meet up with my sister, I guess, and my brother-in-law, and, like, maybe do a small Christmas. But they're doing things with his family for some reason. Oh, like, Stop. Hmm please interesting they were talking like yeah they're talking like boxing day and i was like okay i can do like maybe christmas eve into christmas day with you guys and then you can do your stupid stuff on boxing day Um, yeah yeah but now they're talking doing that on christmas eve and i'm like i still want to do christmas am i going to like retroactively catch something because they've been doing stuff on new year's Eve? i don't know or christmas eve it's very tough to, one of the hardest things about this, especially on the holidays, is like communicating with other people about expectations yeah. and boundaries and like how you're handling it. And like, it's tough. It's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> but, I'm not yeah. in love with it. Yeah, no, neither am I. Yeah. Oh, well. And I, I, I'm definitely of my direct family. Like, I am taking it more seriously than any of them are. And yeah. so it makes me feel like I want... Yeah. I want to do stuff, but not like this. Yeah, no, I know. It's tough. Yeah, that's hard. What would you get for Christmas? 
Um, I probably got Lego and maybe a microphone that I'm currently using. Um, <laughs> probably a lot of movies. I asked for a lot of the, movies. The microphone would be a blessing. Yeah. Yeah, I got um, probably some books, probably a pair of slippers. I really want a pair of slippers. And uh, yeah, I don't really remember what else I asked for. Some chocolate, some coffee. I don't know. Oh my goodness. I asked for so many movies. (laughs) (laughs) I just like, because I was, I wasn't sure. Because usually how Christmas will go is like, there'll be a couple of things. Like I generally, like I will get a big Lego set and my dad and I will put it together. But dad's first of all, not here. And also like, there's nothing out that I really want. And so I put like the Razor Crest set on because I was like, that's almost reasonably priced. And that way, if I ever want it in the future, I don't have to pay for it. Um, and I was like, what can I put on this list that I'd actually want? And I ended up writing just a lot of movie stuff. Amazing. That's valid. I have Annihilation, um, Ford B. Ferrari, a bunch of other stuff. Birds of Prey. Uh, I guess we can wrap up with like I don't know. Want to transition to like New Year, same pandemic. Yeah, I feel like something that's getting to me through the holidays is like obviously I probably won't get vaccinated till the end of the summer or the fall, but like that's a timeline I can get behind. And I know also probably sometime maybe in February, like January, February, like we'll be able to have in-house gatherings with our cohorts, and that way I can go home and see my parents. And like mm. hope is within sight. I think it's hard in like when you don't really, it just seems to be getting worse and you have no idea when, like mm-hmm. it will be two years, five years <laughs> since we have a vaccine. But now that we have a vaccine, like I feel a lot of, okay, I can make these sacrifices and be okay because yeah. um, there's like a timeline and to when like things might be normal and we haven't had that for a long time. So mm-hmm. I'm feeling like cautiously optimistic um, that 2021 sure. will be better than 2020 in terms of COVID at least, if not anything else. So. Yeah, it's vaccine trump will be out of office soon there's a lot of small joys which is kind of the theme of both evermore and little women that you can mm-hmm. find happiness in the little things sure and find that hope and that that joy to keep moving forward even though things kind of might suck yeah, yeah. um you, you might end up suffering from a virus or from heartbreak whatever it is um but there are still reasons to push through and there's still that inherent joy in 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 that suffering and um that can kind of carry us into the new year with some level of hope and perseverance maybe to get through to that vaccination so thank you maddie for joining us yeah on this episode of the podcast thank you for all of your opinions and for your thoughtful insight into both little women and um uh, evermore i kind of feel like what happened with this episode is noah came in hot with like his opinions on amy and we shut them down and then he just stopped giving opinions for the rest of the episode i I do feel a little bit bad about that i didn't mean to shut you down i just wanted to master level of energy you came in hot and so i was like okay well this gives me permission to no i just tried to i just tried to channel matt and ask good questions because matt's good at doing that and i miss matt doing that he is good at doing that and so I tried to do that and then do a wrap-up at the end. So think of it as I was just trying to be Matthew Tapparata. <laughs> we can't all be Matthew Tapparata. That's true. We can't. He's a special man. We can't have all of our faces on every piece of Ambrose merchandise. It's true. 
what a guy. What a guy. But honestly, yeah, thank you, Maddie, for coming on. This was so much yeah. fun. For, yeah, mm-hmm. we will definitely want to have you on in the future. You are a good guest, and you are have lots of good insight into things that oh, is you. helpful because Glenda and I are just two white guys, and it gets a bit boring <laughs> at times. And I'm just a white lady, so one step better, maybe, sometimes not. I think uh, oh, I just am a consumer of content, and so I don't think I have any special insight, but I do love to watch and read and listen to things so yeah yeah well I'm you, you pay it. attention Thanks for having me yeah you, yeah, you pay attention and that's what's important you have a letterbox account so you have like a mark of prestige <laughs> my letterbox account is a joke i got that because david has one obviously and david's like into movies in a smart way and i'm into movies in a dumb way and so i was like this will make you seem smart and because everyone will know i watch cool movies with my husband but then like the first four movies i watched after getting it were like i don't know the holiday it's complicated, like just rom-coms, which are also great, and I think they have value. But I was oh, yeah. like, this is not working out how I planned at all. So, oh well. But once That's I get David a movie account, then we're gonna be flying. It's gonna be great. There you go. <laughs> Anyways, so yeah, it'll it'll happen. But yeah. yes, um, that'll do it for this episode of the podcast. Thank you, visionaries, for listening. Thank you, Ben, for listening. But before I do wrap up, I do want to ask for your opinions on this interviewer format. Do you like that? One of us stays more uh, more quiet and just asks questions the whole time. Is that something that you felt left more space for the uh, for our guest in this case, Maddie? Um, I'll be honest, I <laughs> I only did it because I was basically incapable of doing anything else at that point. Because I mean, uh, I basically socially shut down. Um, and I could get into all the reasons why and uh, talk about childhood trauma and my sensitivities or the ways I'm realizing the pandemic has affected my anxieties and mental health that are now starting to really surface um, in different ways. But that's a discussion for another time. I just want to know if my weird impromptu question decision is actually good and you guys want to see something more like that in the future. We will be implementing some changes moving forward, some more drastic than others. Um, they have yet to be decided, but I do want your guys' opinion before we do anything. So I genuinely would like to know um, if you like this interviewer format for future guests. So yeah, let me know at either the uh, 3040 Vision Twitter account, or I, I think we have an Instagram account, or just my Twitter account or Glennon's Twitter account. Just let us know somewhere. Our social media will be in the description or the episode notes. Um, uh, Good night, Seattle. Glenn didn't say something to wrap it. Um, uh, Merry Thanksgiving. And a Happy New Year. Uh, wear masks. Oh yeah, please.